Hello, and welcome to Contemplative Episcopalian, a podcast of St. Paul's Episcopal Church. We are a Christian faith community located in downtown Beloit, Wisconsin. I am Father T.J. Humphrey, and for this episode, we are sharing with you a homily that I delivered on January 17th, 2021. The title of this homily is Jesus and Politics. A reading from 1 Samuel. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. On that day I I will fulfill against Eli and all that I have spoken concerning his house, from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever, for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Last week, 
A priest friend of mine shared a meme on Facebook that hit really, really close to home for me. It was a picture of a charming little cartoon dog wearing a fedora. He was peacefully sitting at the kitchen table having a lovely cup of coffee. It would have been a really serene cartoon. The only problem was that the room he was sitting in, well, it was on fire. (laughs) In one shot, the dog is just sitting there blissfully sipping away at his coffee as the fire rages all around him. But in the next shot, the dog says with a smile on his face, the fire still raging. Okay, time to write my sermon. (laughs) I felt the truth of that cartoon last week in my bones as I, like you, watched as the whole world went mad. The whole house is on fire, (laughs) y'all. And I, being the person in the collar, the clergy guy, had to get up and say something about it. I still feel the need to say something about it. And in fact, it would be irresponsible for me as a Christian priest to do anything otherwise. I mean a group of Trump extremists, and I want to be careful here. I want to name, name them for who they are. It was Trump extremists, not just conservatives. It was Trump extremists. There's a difference. A group of Trump extremists stormed our nation's Capitol building last week. Given the content of the flags that many of them were waving around, it was clear that many, if not most, in the crowd, it was clear that they believed that they were doing God's will. Make no mistake about it. They were not there just to make a political statement. Theirs was a religious statement as well. They believed that Jesus was on their side. Worse yet, they believed that Jesus is on Trump's side. The whole display, as I was watching it unfold, it immediately, I mean immediately, reminded me of Christianity's very worst moments in history. The Capitol building was the equivalent of some holy land that needed to be breached and purged of heretics. And these Trump fanatics were the crusaders who were going to take it upon themselves to do God's bidding. Or, clearly to me at least, as I was watching it unfold, I saw the impulse of violence, this impulse for violence that led many of the bigoted clergy and monarchs during the Inquisition to torture and to kill blasphemers. This impulse was clearly present in the hearts of some of those people last week as well. For many in that mob, it was not just a riot. They were there to wage a holy war, and it was clear that they were ready to spill blood for it. Now, to be very, very fair and to be very clear, it was also evident enough that not everyone was there for the same reason. Some folks just wanted to stand on the steps of the Capitol building and high-five each other in their Trump swag while raising a middle finger to everyone watching CNN. And that's about as far as their intentions went. But it was also very clear that others had far more sinister intentions. What is going to be far less clear, however, to millions and millions of people in our world and in our country is this question. What the hell does Jesus have to do with any of this?
as the guy in the collar, here's what I have to say. Nothing. I mean, why were the people in this angry mob so convinced that Jesus is on the side of a president who showed no shame, no shame in mocking a physically disabled journalist? I mean, kings in the Old Testament were dethroned by God for far less sins. What makes these people so sure that Jesus is on the side of a president who once unashamedly talked about how his fame and his fortune gives him power over women's bodies? When you are a star, he said, and I am quoting him, you can do anything you want with them, dot, dot, dot. Unfortunately, you already know how the next sentence goes, the sentence that came out of his mouth. It's too vulgar, and it's too misogynistic, and it's too violent for me to even quote it. And for all of the folks waving around their Trump guns and Jesus flags, what makes them so sure that Jesus cares about their guns as much as they do? Do they really think that Jesus celebrates a weapon that people have used to kill off countless lives in our modern era? Where, where in any of Jesus' sayings do we find him celebrating an instrument of death? In fact, here's what we find him saying, that all who live by the sword will die by the sword. What do you think he would have said about all of our damn guns? What do you think he would have said to those people who live by their guns? who vote by their guns. And for all of those Trump extremists who were willing to commit an act of terrorism because they don't like this idea that our country might be tiptoeing towards socialism, I'm sorry to say it, but they're really going to hate the kingdom of God because the economic vision of the kingdom of God makes socialism look like child's play. Have these people not read in the Bible that as the Holy Spirit poured herself out upon the early church, the people shared everything in common? A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. The word of the Lord. And have these people not read the parable that Jesus tells where he is describing to his followers what the kingdom of God is really like? In this parable, workers are hired to work in a vineyard. The workers who have worked the longest get paid the exact same amount as those who have worked the least. And Jesus tells the parable not to highlight the unfairness of the employer, but to refute this idea that one human being deserves more than another just because they have been given more opportunities in life. Now, of course, the workers in the parable who have worked the longest feel cheated. They feel that they deserve more. According to the parable, though, this attitude completely misses the point. It's not about how much one can earn for themselves. 
It is about ensuring that everyone has enough. It is not about how high one can climb in the economy. It is about recognizing that a godly economy would ensure that everyone was cared for. This, says Jesus, is what the kingdom of God is all about. It seems to me that all of these Christian Trump enthusiasts shouldn't fear liberal politics or socialism as much as they should fear the actual teachings of Jesus Christ. His political vision is far more radical than any progressive agenda today. Instead of prioritizing our own rights, Jesus teaches us to prioritize the rights of others. The greatest amongst you, he said, will be the servant of all. Instead of thinking of all the ways we need to defend ourselves from our enemies, Jesus teaches us to consider all the ways in which we can love them. And instead of arming ourselves against our enemies, Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek when they have wronged us. Instead of pressing charges against the man who would seek to steal our coat, Jesus teaches us to give him the shirt off of our back as well. Instead of clinging so tightly to our hard-earned money, Jesus teaches us to shun mammon worship and to be more like his disciples. Again, his disciples did not claim private ownership of any possessions, as Luke tells us. I mean, the disciples, you know this, they goofed up countless times. They missed the point. They were oblivious to a lot of what Jesus said and did. There was much about Jesus's life and his message that they simply did not get, or at least they were slow in getting it. But they got the economic vision right off of the bat, though, and without any hesitation. Why don't we? I must say, I've been really, really surprised by the way that many clergy even Episcopalian clergy, have reacted to people's reactions to this whole incident. It seems to me that they are playing the part of a squeamish, childish Samuel, just like what we read about this morning. They know the thing that they need to say, but are too afraid of offending the Elis around them. So they hold back, they hesitate. Or perhaps it would be better to say, that they are playing the part of Eli. They see the evil being done, but are too afraid to name these evils out loud because they don't want to offend their family members. So they are holding back. As long as these priests continue to do this, continue to hold back, their priesthood will never be like that of Samuel's. As we read this morning, Samuel's words never hit the ground. His every word found its way into the hearts of his listeners. These priests today, though, well, their words leave their mouths and they fall straight to the floor. No wonder so many people see us as being completely irre irrelevant. And these priests, they're urging all of their listeners to try to show compassion and empathy reminding us that this mob did what they did because they feel like their way of life is being threatened. 
and because the people in this mob fear that their voices are gradually being silenced by those who disagree with them. I get this, like I really do, and I agree with this line of thought on one level, that showing compassion and empathy is always the right answer to any and every situation. But here's the thing. If those who make up the nation's majority feel threatened and silenced, think of how much worse it is for our nation's minorities. If straight, white, gun-toting Christian folks feel threatened and silenced, how much worse has it been for women? How much worse is it for people of color, for Hispanic people? My God, especially for these last four years. How much worse is it for the Muslim and Jewish people in our country? How much worse is it for gay people, for transgender people? Do they not feel threatened? Do they not feel silenced? As the book of Proverbs says, those who plant injustice will reap a harvest of disaster. In other words, you reap what you sow. Should we be so surprised then that those who have withheld justice from others for so long suddenly feel like justice is being withheld from them as well? I mean, the question is not one of whether people can feel empathy and compassion toward those Christian Trump enthusiasts who feel threatened and silenced. That's not the question. The question is whether or not those Christian Trump fanatics will wake up to the fact that the way they are feeling right now is the way that they have made other people feel all along. My friend, uh, I beg for your forgiveness if you feel as though I've gotten too political in this sermon. As one of my favorite authors once said, <laughs> mixing religion and politics is a lot like mixing ice cream and manure. It doesn't do much to the manure, but it certainly does ruin the ice cream. <laughs> so if you feel I've gotten too political, I, I get it. I really do. But here's the thing. The mixing has already happened. The manure is all up in the ice cream. <laughs> The mess, it's already made, and it is on full display in front of all of us right now. And it has been actually for quite some time. And many of us in the church, we have held our tongues for far, far too long in the name of just keeping the peace. But our silence has enabled others to not only distort the teachings of Jesus, but our silence has also enabled others to do all sorts of injustices in his name. As the Bible says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Now, my friend, it's not the time for us to keep silence. No. Now is the time to speak. We must speak.